if you um, if you want to start a controversy in the church, start talking about worship. We're not going to do that. Pastor Jason has asked me to speak on the uh, topic of heartfelt worship. He wasn't supposed to be here. And uh, <clears throat> it's a little awkward because I was going to say a few things, now I can't say them. <clears throat> but, um, we're going to look at it, and uh, don't be alarmed. It'll be, it'll be fine. A portion of Scripture, though, uh, we only have a couple of verses that has been, have been suggested. But there is another portion of Scripture that relates to us as a church and as a body of Christ. And uh, uh, it's from Ephesians. And it's Ephesians, the uh, fourth chapter. Sorry, Ephesians, the uh, third chapter, 14 to 21, verses 14 to 21. And I think they're appropriate for us to read before we begin. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled through the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Heartfelt worship is one of the top, uh, is one of the ten topics in our Veritas series on congregational vitality. I guess uh, Jason thought I could probably fill 20 minutes or so since I have spent a lot of years leading worship in the church. Uh, before I begin, though, I'd like to put a disclaimer on my remarks. You know how they do this often. The views and opinions offered in this discourse are those of the presenter only and not necessarily those of the management. So now you know where I'm coming from. <clears throat> there are only three points that are suggested for consideration, so I can uh, see some of you letting out deep sighs as you think this won't take too long. There are, however, about 12 sub-points in each one. <laughs> not, not really, I just wanted to get your attention. We have two scriptures that have been suggested, Psalm 138 and 1, I will give thee thanks with all my heart, and, and John 4:23. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be worshippers. Let's just pray before we begin. Our Father, we do thank you for instituting worship the way we know it. And as we have already heard this morning, it's all about you. Help us to remember that. I pray that the meditation of my heart and the things that I say will be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Why do we come to church? <clears throat> Why do we assemble ourselves here every Sunday morning and at other times of the week? What makes this gathering different from a social club, a political group, or any one of another reason to have regular meetings? It's because the focus is not on us or our accomplishments, but rather on God, our knowledge of Him, our appreciation of Him and His interaction in our world, and hopefully in our lives through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross 
and the person of the Holy Spirit. It's all about God. If we go to the (coughs) dictionary for a definition of the word worship, we come up with the following. One, to pay great honor and respect to. To consider extremely precious, hold very dear, to adore. To feel extreme adoration or devotion to a person. To revere or venerate, to hold in high esteem. And a lot of us that uh, have had uh, Christian training, we know the Westminster Shorter Catechism. When asked, what is the chief purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our whole life is to be one of worship and glorifying God. We come to church not for what we can get out of it, but for what we can put into it. When it comes to church, we often think that when we talk about worship, it is mostly to do with the songs we sing or the music. We used to be called song leaders, but that has evolved to a more spiritual indication the term worship leader. Singing in, in wor- is worship. Then the next segment is the practical stuff, you know, announcements and offering. Then we move on to prayer and scripture, which gets us ready for the really spiritual stuff, the message. Then we nod our acceptance of what pastor said. It was sure good for so-and-so to hear that. <clears throat> we have a cup of coffee and we go home. If for some reason we don't like the songs or the music is too loud, we turn everything off before we even get to what God wants to say to us and our acceptance of it, which is really the heart of our worship. So let's look into what we know about worship in the Balfour Church. The first statement that relates to our topic of heartfelt worship, we exalt and celebrate God for who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Who is God? We can't describe him really. The Israelites couldn't even call him by name because he was simply, I am. The worlds were brought into being by his voice. We could go on and on. Scholars of both the church and secular world have spent centuries trying to explain God. It is impossible with our finite minds to understand him. We simply have to accept what the scripture tells us about him. The important thing for us is that this God, who always was and is, made man to have fellowship with him, and because he also gave us free will, we chose to distance ourselves from him and go our own way. But you know, as you know, because of the way we are made, we have an emptiness, a God-shaped vacuum, if you will, that is never satisfied until we have a restored relationship with God. In the context of our church and the question of who is God, He is the one who is at the center of our choices and deliberations as a denomination, a Canadian conference of the Evangelical Covenant Church, and the reason why there are three covenant churches in Nelson and area. What has he done? Through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, God has made it possible for us to have this fellowship restored. And regardless of circumstances, whether rich or poor, Well or ailing, alone or part of a family, we can have peace, joy, and confidence in the future. We embrace that as individuals if you have accepted Christ into your life and as a church. One of the reasons we worship is because people had a vision over a decade ago to start a congregation and later build a church in Balfour. Most of us are familiar with the miracle that is the Balfour Evangelical Covenant Church how we obtained the land, pledged and gave, built and occupied and paid for the church all in the space of a few months. 
Walter has a book of pictures, and I think that there are still articles available in the library detailing just what happened. And we worship him for this. What is he doing? He is at work constantly in our lives, encouraging us, correcting us, leading us, comforting us, giving us joy and knowing that we are not alone fighting the battles of life. We have God and we also have each other. As Rudy said this morning, our brothers and sisters here in what we call the Balfour Church. He is leading folk to join us. He has brought some of you. Another reason to worship him. What will he do? He will enable us to live out the gospel in our lives to testify of our faith to those in our community and neighborhood that are still outside the family of faith. He will enable us as a family to love one another, accept each other, and care for one another. He will call and enable us to share the faith not only with those around us here, but to love and care for others through giving and going as our hearts are touched by the needs around the world. He will bring others into the faith through our lives in the church and community. The second statement that they wanted us to look at is worship reflects careful preparation of to help give voice to many dimensions of response to God, such as adoration, praise, contrition, lament, and commitment. A long sentence. How does that play out in our congregation? Many of you may not be aware of the preparation that goes into each Sunday service. When we arrive here, the church is always clean and welcoming due to the efforts of our unofficial custodian, Gary Eisen. Part of Gary's worship and love for God is exhibited in his care for the building. Long before Doug, who is not my biological brother, incidentally, <laughs> long before Doug gives you the bulletin, people have poured over the multitude of songs available to choose the ones that will give voice to the topic for this Sunday chosen by pastor. The musicians have practiced. A suitable scripture and welcome have been chosen. All have been entered in PowerPoint by Rick or one of our people who have trained to serve in this way. Our church is committed to missions with our own folk, often going on short mission trips. Many of you sponsor a child through Compassion or World Vision. Trails of Hope is coming up again right after the annual meeting launch. We go to Mexico. We heard another mission uh, this morning, and I'm sure there are others that we will hear from as time goes on. We are a mission-oriented church, and I praise God for that. Missions Moment has been prepared. A children's time reflecting a child's view of the message will be delivered usually by Tracy with appropriate responses by Thomas, Ellie, Corbin, and Bella. <laughs> <clears throat> Trish has typed the bulletin with appropriate inserts. If there is communion, couples have agreed to prepare it with ingredients made in advance so nothing is left to the last minute. Previous to all this, at various times during the week and immediately before the service, Prayer has gone up for the service and those participating. You are welcome and encouraged to become part of any of these prayer groups. Our music reflects adoration and praise with some responses dealing with contrition and a request for forgiveness for the sin which still appears in our lives on a daily basis. Another part of our worship. I have been happy to be a part of this, not only in this church, but many churches. Worship has changed over the years. No more organs, which was the symbol of worship for hundreds of years. I think it took us over two years to give away the one that we had here, and we have moved on. 
The good news is that I have been involved as a worship leader for over 50 years and probably learned every new worship song that came along. The bad news is that I have been involved with being a worship leader for over 50 years. <laughs> Many changes. We tend to stay with the familiar, especially if it has meaning for us, and often our choice of song reflects that. Those of us in my age bracket have come through many situations in our lives, depending on hymns that reflect our relationship with God. Have you ever hummed or sang an old, well-loved song only to have someone younger say, that's kind of nice, is it new? I've never heard it before. <clears throat> there have been some great worship songs written in the past few decades, but I wonder if we will still be singing them 50 years from now if the Lord tarries. Songs come and go, and have you ever noticed that the ones with the great staying power and often go back hundreds of years are the ones that talk about God and what he has given us and done for us? The songs that have been composed telling what I am doing or going to do don't seem to last more than a few years. The old hymns that continually remind us of God's love, faithfulness, compassion, and companionship are still here. Fairest Lord Jesus, great is thy faithfulness, amazing grace, and even going back as far as the hymns of Wesley and Martin Luther, they speak to us and continue to do so long after some of the newer songs have come and gone. The forefathers of the Covenant Church have blessed us with day by day thy mercies, Lord, attend me, and thanks to God for my Redeemer. Children of the Heavenly Father goes back even further than that. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy Michael W. Smith, the music of Graham Kendrick, and I think that How Great the Father's Love for Us is one of the most inspired hymns of this generation. But in times of stress and bereavement, we turn for comfort to a song like Does Jesus Care When My Heart Is Pain Too Deeply for Mirth or Song As the Burdens Press and the Cares Distress and the Way He Seems Weary Along? Oh yes, He cares, I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are dreary, the long nights weary, I know my Savior cares. It's all about him. Michael W. Smith wrote a song a few years ago which included the phrase, I'm going back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. So the old standards are great and we still sing them. Our music should reflect some songs that are age-sensitive and also some of the newer compositions that reflect our adoration and praise of the Savior. In our congregations, we have a good mixture, I think. I make no apologies for the fact that I tend to gravitate toward the old hymns when I lead. Many of you that are past the best by date, like myself, have expressed your appreciation of the hymns we sing. But it is good that younger worship leaders introduce us to worship songs that have meaning for them. And as I have sung them, I have come to appreciate them also. The danger in repetition, whether it be in songs or liturgy, is that we have been there so often that the words fail to have meaning any longer. Many of us have come from a background of liturgy and response that is so familiar we can participate by rote, without thinking, and we become a bit alarmed when we have responsive interaction with the Confession and Apostles' Creed because we have chosen to come out of that type of worship. Sometimes we need to stop mentally and once again look at the words that we are singing or a spoken response and remember just what was the nature of our condition before coming to faith and our need to daily cleansing through our relationship with God. 
We don't often use the word lament in relation to our worship, but we have the opportunity to silently ask for forgiveness and cleansing as we participate in communion. James says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Paul even goes so far as to say that if there is a problem with the relationship between myself and one of you, I should get it straightened out before I partake of the elements. Tough words. If we actually gave time to do that, how much time would we need? I like the way Pastor Jason is encouraging us during the passing of the bread and wine to relate how God has been present in our journey since the last time we met. (coughs) Commitment to God will also lead to commitment to our church, the programs of the church and the people in the church. I don't want to step on Mike's topic here for next week, but we are considered a family, and and just as not all family members are are close with everybody else in the family, It is still family. We are drawn by background and personality to be closer to some folk than others. This is often where small groups comes in. We offer a choice of subject and involvement that appeals to most of the people in the church. Our church is of a size that will accommodate several small groups with various themes. If there appears to be a need for a certain type, we don't currently have the pastor in our leadership. We'll pray and then approach someone who would be capable of leadership in that area. It could be one of you. People are drawn to others because of things in common, and it is okay to not socialize with everybody in the church, but we can be respectful and love and pray for one another. Even within the group of disciples, there seemed to be a small group of three that came with the same background. That was recognized in a song I used to sing when I was a kid, Peter, James, and John in a sailboat. And I know some of you probably learned that one too. That's one we don't sing anymore. Do you know that we're a mega church by some standards? Churches in Japan, for instance, are all around 25 or 30 people as they meet in homes and meeting rooms that can only accommodate that number. When there are more, they start a new church. The size of the Balfour Church, between 75 and 100, is probably on the high side of average for even Canadian churches in these days of shrinking church attendance. Some of you have come from larger churches where you were able to hide and not be acknowledged, and that suited you just fine. You'll not get away with that here. (laughs) We are just the right size to notice visitors, and as a lot of you know, we welcome you and swarm all over you because we want you to become part of us. We actually had a couple a few years ago that claimed they decided not to become part of our fellowship because we were too overpowering with our welcome. I think they had other issues to deal with, however. The covenant is a denomination that will probably never be a large one because we have a basic belief pertaining to faith and conduct but allows some difference of interpretation on what we consider to be peripheral matters. Some people have trouble with that. They have come from a lifetime of rigid theology and fellowship, but those that are open in their acceptance of tolerance and harmony are you and me that make up this church. We can have harmony in worship and fellowship in the context of our church life together. I think our tolerance and acceptance is why we have been spared any split in our numbers in the time we have been here as a church. We live, shop, play, and worship all within a 20-mile radius, so we need to get along. Jason is only our second full-time pastor in 10 years. Other groups, many other groups, would have had a split in the ranks by now at the size of congregation 
But God has spared us, and we pray constantly that the evil one will not be allowed to cause disharmony. I pray that nothing I say or do will cause anyone to want to leave this fellowship. The scripture read earlier talks about worshiping in spirit and truth. They seem to go together. May our words and attitudes be truthful. And I would say that in there somewhere would be a check on our conversation when we talk to each other about each other. At my age and length of time in church, I know the damage that careless words can do. Talk does more to destroy harmony and unity in a church than anything else. But here again, if Christ is at the center of our conversations, they will be healthy and uplifting. Lastly, people leave worship knowing something more about the heart of God and about their own hearts. As we have already stated, we come here not for what we can get out of it, but what we can put into it. The preparation for our worship begins before we ever come to this building. Our faith must be lived out to our neighbors and community in such a way that they are attracted to God, this God that we worship, not only on Sundays but every day. A lot of it, I think, is how they see us approach the difficult parts of our life, whether health or relationships or material losses, when as a family and God's children together, we uplift and uphold one another through practical means as well as with prayer. We must come. We come here and adore God for what he means to us, and we are eager to show that concern and love to those we care about, to those in the church and those without. We leave here wanting to point them to this person who has such an influence in our lives. But as we have heard before, I, we, may be the only Bible the world around us will read. What a responsibility. The service here is over, but our service just begins. God's heart is that he wants all men to be, come to a knowledge of the truth, and that will only happen in our community and around the world through us, you and me. If I adopt that from my heart as well, if I am not concerned with, the sharing, with sharing the love of Christ with those around me, there is something wrong with my interpretation of the gospel and what God intended, and I need to talk to him about it. I come to this place every Sunday to worship God and gain strength from my brothers and sisters. I know God will be here. I was chided one time after praying at the beginning of a service for God to meet us here. When the service was over, someone came up to me and told me I was praying wrong. God was already here, and it was my responsibility to connect with him when I came to meet him here. He is here, am I? I think that person was correct, and I've tried to remember that when praying and offering our worship to God at the beginning of a service. What a great thing God has ordained through worship. What a blessing our church is to us, and what a blessing we are or should be to each other. If you are part of the family of God and part of this church family, I hope you have seen this morning that we are so fortunate to live where we do and worship as we do. God has given us a unique fellowship here in Belfer. Let us renew our pledge to keep it intact. If you are not yet a part of this family of God, I would be remiss unless I invited you to come on in. God loves you, we love you, and pledge ourselves to stand alongside you as you choose to worship with us. Now is the time of salvation. We never know what will happen today or tomorrow. Choose God today. Talk to one of us, and we'd be glad to introduce you to the greatest friend you will ever have. 
Pastor Jason always ends his sermons by saying, I have great news for you. And if you're here today, he would say that. So do I. <laughs> I have great news for you. This is my church. This is your church. But ultimately, this is God's church. He is in charge, and that gives us reason to worship.